Chapter Eight of Uller Uprising. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. Uller Uprising by H. Beam Piper. Chapter Eight. Authority of Governor General von Schlichten. There was fresh intelligence from Konkrook by the time he returned to the telecast station. Mutiny had broken out there among the laborers and native troops who outnumbered the Terrans and their Kragan mercenaries on Gongonk Island by five thousand to five hundred and fifteen hundred, respectively. The attempt to relieve Jake Carrick's palace had been called off before the relief force could be sent. There was heavy and confused fighting all over the island, and most of the combat contragravity and about half the Kragan rifles had had to be committed to defend the company farms across the channel on the mainland south of the city. There had also been an urgent call for help from Colonel Rodolfo McKinnon in command of company troops at the Keegark Residency, and another from the Residency at Quirk, one of the free cities on the eastern shore of Takad Sea. He called Keegark. A girl, apparently one of the civilian telecast technicians, answered. "'We must have help, General von Schlichten,' she told him. "'The native troops, all but two hundred Kragans, have mutinied. They have everything here except company house, docks, airport, everything. We're trying to hold out, but there are thousands of them. Our Takad native infantry, soldiers of King Orgzil's army, and townspeople, they all seem to have firearms.' "'What happened to Eric Blount and your resident agent, Mr. Lemoyne?' "'We don't know. They were at the palace talking to King Orgzild. We've tried to call the palace, but we can't get through. General, we must have help!' A call came in a few minutes later from Crink, five hundred miles to the northeast across the mountains. The resident agent there, one Francis Xavier Shapiro, reported rioting in the city and an attempted palace revolution against King Jonkvank, and that the residency was under attack. By way of variety, it was the army of King Jonkvak that had mutinied. The six North Uller native infantry and the two companies of Zerk Calvary at Krink were still loyal, along with the Kragans. There was a pattern to all this. Von Schlichten stood staring at the big map on the wall, showing the Takad Sea area at the equatorial zone and the country north of it to the pole, the area of Uller occupied by the company. He was almost beginning to discern the underlying logic of the past half-hour's events when Cavini, the Skilk resident, blundered into him in a half-daze. "'Sorry, General, didn't see you.' His face was ashen, and his jowl sagged. Von Schlichten wondered if there could be another spectacle so woebegone as a back-slapping extrovert with the bottom knocked out of him. "'My God, it's happening all over Uller! Not just here at Skilk, everywhere where we have a residency or a trading station! Why, it's the end of all of us!' It's not quite that bad, Mr. Cavini. He looked at his watch. It was now nearly an hour since the native troops here at Skilk had mutinied. Insurrections like this usually succeeded or failed in the first hour. It was a little early to be certain, but he was beginning to suspect that this one hadn't succeeded. If we all do our part, we'll come out of it all right, he told Cavini, more cheerfully than he felt, then turned to ask Brigadier General Mordkovitz how the fighting was going at the native troops' barracks. Not badly, General. Colonel Jarman's got some contragravity up and working. They blew out all four of the tent's NUNI's barracks. The tent and the Zerks are trying to defend the cavalry barracks. Some of our Kragans managed to slip around behind the cavalry stables. They're leading out hipposaurs and sniping at the rear of the cavalry barracks. That'll give us some cavalry of our own. A lot of these Kragans are good riders. How about the repair shops and maintenance yard and lorry hangers? 
I don't want those geeks getting hold of that equipment and using it against us. Cormark's outfit are trying to take back the lorry hangers. Jarman's got a couple of air jeeps and a combat car helping them. Won't be one of us left by this time tomorrow, Cavini was wailing to Paula Quentin and another woman, and the company is finished. We'd better get him a drink or a cup of coffee, General, Mordkovitz suggested, with a knockout drop in it. Colonel Ching Lee, the intelligence officer, seemed to have somewhat the same idea. He approached Cavini and tried to quiet him. At the same time, a woman in black slacks and an orange sweater, the one whose pursuers had been overrun by the Kragans at the beginning of the fighting, approached von Schlichten. General, King Kakad's calling, she said. He's on the screen in booth four. Right. To avoid any possibility of misunderstanding, he slipped his geek speaker into his mouth before entering the booth. Kinkad's face was looking out of the screen at him, with Phil Yamazaki, the telecast operator at Kinkad's town, standing behind him. Vaughn, the Kragan spoke almost as though in physical pain. What can I do to help? I have twenty thousand of my people here who are capable of bearing arms, all with firearms, but I have transport for only five hundred. Where shall I send them? Von Schlichten thought quickly. Keegark was finished. The residency stood in the middle of the city, surrounded by two hundred thousand of King Orgzild's troops and subjects. Since Ullerans were bisexual, the total population, less the senile, crippled, and very young, was the military potential. Sending Kankad's five hundred warriors and his meager contragravity there would be the same as shoveling them into a furnace. The people at Keegark would have to be written off, like the twenty Kragans at Jaykark's palace. Send them to Konkruk, he decided. Thumbazongwe's in command there. He'll need help to hold the company farms. Maybe he can find additional transport for you. I'll call him. I'll send off what force I can at once, Kankad promised. How does it go with you at Skilk? We're holding, so far, he replied. Paula's with me here. She sends her friendship. Captain Inez Malavez, the woman officer in charge of the station, put her head into the booth. General, immediate urgency message from Colonel O'Leary, she said. Native laborers from the mine labor camp are pouring into the mine equipment park. Colonel O'Leary's used all his rockets and MG ammunition trying to stop them. Call you back later, von Schlichten told Kinkad. I'll see what Thamazangui can do about transport. Get what force you can started for Kinkruk at once. He left the booth, removing his geek speaker. Barney, he called. General Mordkovitz. Who's the ranking officer in direct contact with the 18th Rifles? Major Falkenberg? That's right. Tell him to get as many of his Kragans as he can spare down to the equipment park. He turned to Inez Malavez. You call Jarman. Tell him when O'Leary reported, and tell him to get cracking on it. Tell him not to let those geeks get any of that equipment onto contragravity. Knock it down as fast as they try to lift out with it. And tell him to see what he can do in the way of troop carriers or lorries to get Falkenberg's rifles to the equipment park. How's business at the lorry hangars and maintenance yard? Cormork's still working on that, the girl captain told him. Nothing definite, yet. In one corner of the big room, somebody had thumbtacked a ten-foot square map of the company area to the floor. Paula Quinton and Mrs. Jules Cavini were on their knees beside it, pushing out handfuls of little pink and white pills that somebody had brought in two bottles from the dispensary across the road, each using a billiard bridge. The girl in the orange sweater had a handful of scribbled notes, and was telling them where to push the pills. There were other objects on the map, too. Pistol cartridges and cigarettes and foil-wrapped food concentrate wafers. Paula, seeing him, straightened. The pink are ours, General, she said. The white are the geeks. Von Schlichten suppressed a grin. That was the second time he'd heard her use that word this evening. 
The cigarettes are air jeeps, the cartridges are combat cars, and the wafers are lorries or troop carriers. Not exactly regulation map markers, but I've seen stranger things used. Captain Malavez. Yes, sir. The girl captain, rushing past, her hands full of teleprint sheets, stopped in mid-stride. What we need, he told her, is a big TV screen and a pickup mounted on some sort of a contragravity vehicle at about two to five thousand feet directly overhead to give us an image of the whole area. Can do? Can try, sir. We have an eight-foot circular screen that ought to do all right for two thousand feet. I'll implement that at once. Going into a temporarily idle telecast booth, he called Kinkrook. First he spoke to a civilian who chewed a dead cigar, and then he got Themistocles Mazongui on the screen. How is it now? he asked. Getting a little better, the Greco-African replied. Half an hour ago we were shooting geeks out the window. Now we have them contained between the spaceport and the native troops and labor barracks, and down the east side of the island to the farms. We have the wire around the farms on the island electrified, and we're using almost all our combat counter-gravity to keep the farms on the mainland clear. He hesitated for a moment. Did you hear about Eric and Lemoyne? Von Schlichten shook his head. We just got a call from Adolfo McKinnon. He took a couple of prisoners and made them talk. The whole party that were at Orgzild's palace were massacred. Some of them were lucky enough to get killed fighting. The geeks took Eric and Hendrik alive, rolled them in a puddle of thermoconcentrate fuel, and set fire to them. When we can spare the contragravity, we're going to drop something on the key geek embassy over in town. Well, that was what I wanted to call you about, contragravity. He told Mazongui about King Kinkad's offer. His crowd ought to be coming in a couple of hours. What can you scrape up to send to Kinkad's town to airlift Cragen's Inn? Well, we have three hundred and fifty-foot gun cutters, one ninety-millimeter gun apiece, the Elmoran, the Gaucho, and the Bushranger. But they're not much at transports, and we need them here pretty badly. Then we have five fertilizer and charcoal scows, and a lot of heavy transport lorries, and two one-eighty-foot pickup boats. How about the Peach of Air? Launch looked and asked. She was doing concrete from in the east about thirteen hundred today, wasn't she? Mazangwe swore. She got in all right, but the geeks boarded her at the dock within twenty minutes after things started. They tried to lift out with her, and the channel battery shot her down into concrete channel off the fifty-sixth street docks. Well, you couldn't let the geeks have her to use against us. What do you hear from the other ships? Procyon's at Grank. We haven't had any reports of any kind from there, which doesn't look so good. The Northern Lights is at Grank, too. The Oom Paul Kruger should have been at Bork, in the east, when the gun went off. And the Jan Smuts and the Christian DeWitt were both at Keegark. We can assume Orgzild has both of them. All right. I'm sending Aldebaran to Kinkaeds to pick up more reinforcements for you. We can use them, and with Aldebaran we ought to be able to take the offensive against the city by this time tomorrow. Anything else? Not at the moment. I'll see about getting Aldebaran sent off now. Leaving the booth, he heard, above the clatter of communications machines and hubbub of voices, Jules Cavini arguing contentiously. Evidently, Colonel Ching Lee's efforts to drag the resident out of his despondency have been an excessive success. But it's crazy! Not just here, everywhere on Uller, Cavini was saying. How did they do it? They have no telecast equipment. You have me stop, Jules, Mordekovitz was replying. I know a lot of rich geeks have receiving sets, but no sending sets. The pattern that had been tantalizing von Schlichten took visible shape in his mind. For a moment he shelved the matter of the Aldebaran. They didn't need sending equipment, Barney, he said. They used ours. What do you mean? Cavini challenged. Look what happened. Sid Harrington was poisoned in Kinkrook. 
The news, of course, was sent out at once, as the geeks knew it would be, to every residency and trading station on Uller, and that was a signal they'd agreed upon, probably months in advance. All they had to do was have that geek servant put poison in Harrington's whiskey, and we did the rest. Well, what was our intelligence doing? Sleeping? Cavini demanded angrily. No, they were writing reports for your civil administration blokes to stuff in the wastebasket and being called mailed fist and rattling saber alarmets for their pains. He turned away from Cavini. Barney, where's Dirk Prinsloo? Aboard his ship. He hitched a ride to the airport with Jarman when he was here picking up air crews. Call him. Tell him to take the Aldebaran to Kincaid's town at once. As soon as he arrives there, which should be about eleven hundred, he's to pick up all the Kragans he can pack aboard and take them to Kinkruk. From then on, he'll be under Thumbazangui's orders. To Kinkruk, Cavini fairly howled. Are you nuts? Don't you think we need reinforcements here, too? Yes, I do. I'm going to try to get them, von Schlichten told him. Now pipe down and get out of people's way. He crossed the room to where two Kragans, a male sergeant, and the ubiquitous girl in the orange sweater were struggling to get a big circular TV screen up, then turned to look at the situation map. A girl tech sergeant was keeping Paula Quinton and Mrs. Jules Cavini informed. Stop pushing geeks out of the 5th Zerk Calvary Barracks, the sergeant was saying. The one at the north end, the one next to it, and they're both on fire now. She tossed a slip into the wastebasket beside her and glanced at the next slip. And more pink pills back of the barracks and stables, and move them a little to the northwest. Cragans as skirmishers, to intercept geeks trying to slip away from the cavalry barracks. Though why we want to do that, I don't know, Mrs. Cavini said, pushing out a handful of pink pills with her billiard bridge. Let them go, and good riddance. I never did like this bridge of silver for a fleeting enemy idea, Paula Quinton said, evicting token mutineers from the two northern barracks. There's usually two-way traffic on bridges. Kill them here, and we won't have to worry about keeping them out. Of course, it was easy to be bloodthirsty about pink pills and white pills. Once, on a three-months reaction drive voyage from Yudgrill to Loki, he had taught a couple of professors of extraterrestrial zoology to play Kriegspiel, and before the end of the trip he was being horrified by the callous disregard they showed for casualties. But little Paula had the right idea. Dead enemies don't hit back. A young Kragan, with his lower left arm in his sling and a daub of antiseptic plaster over the back of his head, came up and gave him a radio slip. Guido Carmasini's, the resident agent at Grank, had reported at last. The city, he said, was quiet, but King Kirk's troops had seized the company airport and docks, taken the Procyon and the Northern Lights, and put guards aboard them, and was surrounding the residency. He wanted to know what to do. Von Schlichten managed to get him on the screen, after a while. It looks as though Kirk's trying to play both sides at once, he told the Grank resident. If the rebellion's put down, he'll come forward as your friend and protector. If we're wiped out elsewhere, he'll yell, Znid, Sudibit, and swamp you. Don't antagonize him. We can't afford to fight this war on any more fronts than we are now. We'll try to do something to get you in frozen before long. He called Crank again. A girl with red-gold hair and a dusting of freckles across her nose answered. How are you making out? he asked. So far fine, General. We're in complete control of the company area, and all our native troops, not just the Kragans, are with us. Junkfanks pushed the mutineers out of his palace, and we're keeping open a couple of streets between here and there. We airlifted all our Kragans and half the six NUNI to the palace, and we have the Zerks patrolling the streets on Sarbak. Now we have our lorries and troop carriers out picking up elements of Junkfanks' loyal troops outside town. Who's doing the rioting, then? She named three of Junkfanks' regiments and the city hoodlums, and priests from the temples of one sect that followed Rakid, and Skilkin fifth columnists. Mr. Shapiro can give you the details. Shall I call him? Never mind. 
He is probably busy. He's not as easy on the eyes as you are, and you're doing all right. How long do you think it'd take, with the equipment you have, to airlift all of Junkvik's loyal troops into the city? Not before this time tomorrow. All right. Are you in radio communication with Junkvik now? Full telecast, audio-visual, the girl replied. Just a minute, General. He put in his geek speaker. The screen exploded into multicolored light, then cleared. Within a few minutes, a Saurian Ulleran face was looking out at him. A harsh-lined, elderly face with an old scar, quartz-crusted, along one side. Your Majesty, von Schlichten greeted him. Junkbank pronounced something intended to correspond to von Schlichten's name. We have image men under sad circumstances, General, he said. Sad for both of us, King Junkbank. We must help one another. I am told that your soldiers in Crank have been risen against you, and that your loyal troops are far from the city. Yes, that was the work of my war minister, Herkirk, who was in the pay of King Firket of Skilk, made Geols devour him alive. I have Herkirk's head over here somewhere, if you want to see it. But that will not bring my loyal soldiers to Crank any sooner. Dead traitors' heads do not interest me, King Junkbank, von Schlichten replied, in what he estimated that the Crinken king would interpret as a tone of cold-blooded cruelty. There are too many traitors' heads still on traitors' shoulders. What regiments are loyal to you, and where are they now? Junkbank began naming regiments and locating them, all at minor provincial towns at least a hundred miles from Crink. Herkirk did his work well. I'm afraid you killed them too mercifully, von Schlichten said. Well, I'm sending the Northern Star to Crink. She can only bring in one regiment at a trip, the way they're scattered. Which do you want first? Junkbank's mouth, until now compressed grimly, parted in a gleaming smile. He made an exclamation of pleasure which sounded rather like a boy running along a picket fence with a stick. "'Good, General, good!' he cried. "'The first should be the regiment murderers at Frunk. "'They all have rifles like your soldiers. "'Have them brought to the great square at the palace here. "'And then the regiment fear-makers at Gilsnid, "'and the regiment corpse-sweepers at—' "'Let that go until the murderers are in,' von Schlichten advised. "'There at Frunk, you say? "'I'll send the Northern Star there directly. "'Oh, good, General, I will not soon forget this. "'And as soon as the work is finished here, "'I will send soldiers to help you at Skilk. "'There shall be a great pile of the heads of those "'who had part in this wickedness, both here and there. "'Good. Now, if you will pardon me, "'I'll go to give the necessary orders.' "'As he left the booth, he saw Hadeyoshi O'Leary "'in front of the situation map, and hailed him. "'Harry and Hassan are getting the car re-armored. "'They dropped me off here. "'Want to come up with us and see the show?' "'No, I want you to go to Crink "'as soon as Harry brings the car here again.' He told O'Leary what he intended doing. You'll probably have to go around ahead of the star and alert these regiments. And as soon as things stabilize at Crink, prod Junkbank into airlifting troops here. You're authorized, in my name, to promise Junkbank that he can assume political control at Skilk after we've stuffed Furkid's head in the dustpin. Jules Cavini, who always seemed to be where he wasn't wanted, heard that and fairly screamed. General von Schlichten! That is a political decision. You have no authority to make promises like that. That is a matter for the Governor-General, at least. Well, as of now, and until successor to Sid Harrington can be sent here from Terra, I'm Governor-General, von Schlichten told him, mentally thanking Cavini for reminding him of the necessity for such a step. Captain Malavez, you will send out an all-station telegast immediately. Military Commander-in-Chief Carlos von Schlichten, being informed of the deaths of both Governor-General Harrington and Lieutenant Governor Blount, assumes the duties of Governor-General as of... Zero 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 one today. He turned to Cavini. Does that satisfy you? He asked. No, it doesn't. You have no authority to assume a civil position of any sort, let alone the very highest position. Von Schlichten unbuttoned his holster and took out his authority, letting Cavini look into the muzzle of it. Here it is, he said. If you're wise, don't make me appeal to it. Cavini shrugged. 
I can't argue with that, he said, but I don't fancy the Uller Company is going to be impressed by it. The Uller Company, von Schlichten replied, is six and a half parsecs away. It takes a ship six months to get from here to Terra, and another six months to get back. A radio message takes a little over twenty-one years, each way. He holstered the pistol again. You were bitching about how we needed reinforcements a while ago. Well, here's where we have to reverse Klautswitz and use politics as an extension by other means of war. That brings up another question, General, one of Cavini's subordinates said. Can we hold out long enough for help to get here from Terra? By the time help could reach us from Terra, von Schlichten replied, we'll either have this revolt crushed, or there won't be a live Terran left on Uller. He felt a brief sadistic pleasure as he watched Cavini's face sag in horror. What do you think we'll live on for a year? he asked. On this planet, there's not more than a three-month supply of any sort of food a human can eat and the ships that'll be coming in until word of our plight can get to Terra won't bring enough to keep us going. We need the farms and livestock and the animal tissue culture plants at Kunkruk and the farms at Krink and on the plateau back of Skilk, and we need peace and native labor to work them. Nobody seemed to have anything to say after that for a while. Then Cavini suggested that the next ship was due in from Niflheim in three months, and that it could be used to evacuate all the Terrans on Uller. And I'll personally shoot any able-bodied Terran who tries to board that ship, von Schlichten promised. Get this through your heads, all of you. We are going to break this rebellion, and we are going to hold Uller for the company and the Terran Federation. He looked around him. Now, get back to work, all of you, he told the group that had formed around him in Cavini. Miss Quinton, you just heard me order my adjutant, Colonel O'Leary, on detached duty to Crink. I want you to take over for him. You'll have rank and authority as colonel for the duration of this war. She was thunderstruck. But I know absolutely nothing about military matters. There must be a hundred people here who are better qualified than I am. There are and they all have jobs, and I'd have to find replacements for them, and replacements for the replacements. You won't leave any vacancy to be filled. And you'll learn, fast enough. He went over to the situation map again, and looked at the arrangement of pink and white pills. First of all, I want you to call Jarman at the military airport, and have an airjeep and driver sent around here for me. I'm going up and have a look around. Barney, keep the show going while I'm out, and tell Colonel Quinton what it's all about. End of chapter 8 Recording by Acacia Wood.